The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Hey, good Monday night, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. The Indians, well, they had a very successful road trip over the past weekend. They finished up five and one, and they've got the night off tonight. They're ten and eight, heading into action tomorrow night, which will be at home against the Houston Astros. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Reds, even though they went two and four on their latest homestand, well, we're going to get into that with our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue, here in just a second. But a lot of people may have thought, Mark, that this was a very unsuccessful homestand for the Reds. I kind of beg to differ because I thought they played some tough games, not only against the Orioles, but I thought they played tough against the Cubs also. Yeah, the Reds could have won five of those games, and and they didn't. <clears throat> uh, second place doesn't help much in baseball, Second being second. But uh, they did play well. Uh, the, the heartbreaking game was the game on uh, Friday night when they had a three-run lead with two out in the ninth inning. And uh, Rizzo hits a three-run home run to tie it. The Reds lose it in 11. But if you looked at the beginning of the year and said after 19 games, the Reds would be, or 17 games, I guess, they'd be 9-8. and eight. I think a lot of people would have taken that. Uh, unfortunately, they started off 7-2. and two. And then now they, they're on the downside of a, of a bad losing streak. But, uh, again, I've said this for the last two weeks. If the Reds can stay close until June 1st when they presumably will have Homer Bailey back, uh, DeSclafani back, uh, they're going to be okay. I think okay for the Reds this year. Uh, a 500 season would be perfectly fine. In terms of a team improving and getting and getting better and younger, Mark, the thing about it is the two victories <laughs> that the Reds got on this homestand came off the right arm of Bronson Arroyo. Isn't that ironic? Uh, and you know, it's it's funny. They said in the paper today, and I, I guess it was meant as a compliment, but uh, one of the guys, one of the Cubs, said that he was pitching below batting speed. <laughs> That's why it was so tough to hit him because he was pitching below batting practice. And that is hard to hit. And I know it's hard to hit because I I have a hard time hitting in batting practice because you you you're not you're not geared in and your timing gets all messed up. And that's what Bronson does. If he can get his fastball and he was up to 88 yesterday, if he can get up to about 90, 91, then his slow stuff really can take effect because there's a gap between 90 and 78. Uh, when you're throwing 83 or 84 as your fastball, 
uh, hitters, they can time that because your changeup is only 75 or 76. So they'll, they'll figure that out. So uh, it's ironic that, uh, you know, the Red, Amir Garrett, who has pitched great this year, is getting hammered as we speak. Last time I checked, he'd given up seven runs. It was seven to four and has given up three home runs already. So uh, as we've said many times, baseball is about adjustments and adjusting to those adjustments. And if they've begun to figure out Amir Garrett, he's the one who's now going to have to make the adjustment. Well, I told you before we went on the air, and a lot of people don't believe this, but Mark and I, well, some people probably do believe it, but Mark and I do very little show prep. But I told him before the tonight's show when we went on the air, I wanted to discuss a situation that is going on right now between Major League Baseball and the Cleveland Indians, and that is the fact that Major League Baseball is putting a lot of pressure on the Indians right now to abolish Chief Wahoo. And that's the best way to put it. And, Mark, I think this has probably got the most legs of any rumors that we have heard throughout the years about the Indians getting rid of the Chief Wahoo logo. Because right now, if you look at it, the Indians' ownership, the Dolans, they can come back and they can say, hey, Major League Baseball made us do it. We've got to get rid of Chief Wahoo. It is not going over very well with the fans. Definitely not going over very well with me. Um, there are, you know, American Indians, I understand their heritage. I, I get it. We did it. We should apologize to them. But the American Indians, Mark, as far as I'm concerned, are not complaining about Chief Wahoo. There are only seven to ten that come out and complain about it. On opening day and the rest of the year they're gone. If they have a cause, a gripe, a complaint about Chief Wahoo, why aren't they doing it the other 364 days out of the year? Why? Because there's more important things that they have to do. Chief Wahoo is not the end-all to be-all to their lives. Chief Wahoo is not going to make their lives any better or any worse. Chief Wahoo is a logo. He is a cartoon character. I asked the question before. I'm going to ask it again, Mark. What are the Indian families upset about, these 7 to 10 that constantly come out and complain about this logo? Haven't they ever seen a happy Indian in their life? All this Indian is doing is smiling. That's it. What's the problem with Chief Wahoo? You can't get any one of these 7 to 10 people to give you an answer to that. It's like talking to a politician, Mark. You can't get an answer from them. Even when you boo them on stage and pin them against the wall, they won't give you an answer. And neither will these 7 to 10 Indians that are upset about Chief Wahoo. I see no problem with it. I don't see it being an insult to the American Indian heritage, if anything, I, I see it as being more of just what the American Indian, what people think they are. That's what I see. I don't. But now Major League Baseball has stuck their claws in it, and I ask this question, Mark. If they are going to go after Chief Wahoo, when are they going after the Braves? 
Well, if they go after Chief Wahoo, I think <clears throat> Mr. Red is next. Has to be. And <laughs> I'm being facetious. Well, right, yeah. But you know what, yeah. Dave? It's funny. I'm being facetious, but back in the 1950s, believe this or not, there was a group of people who wanted to change the name of the Cincinnati Reds. So they named them, named them the, they were the Red Legs a long time ago. They became the Reds. But because of the communist affiliation, there was a, a congressional, oh boy. congressional act. I'm not kidding. This is true. Uh, to change, to officially change the team's name from the Reds to something else because they, they said it was, uh, catering to the Communist Party. So these people, these seven people you're mentioning in Cleveland, uh, it's, <laughs> you know, it's almost to the point that what, what logo or what cartoon character would be appropriate? Do you want the, you know, a picture of Pocahontas as your, <laughs> As your mascot, or literally, I'm not kidding. Do you just drop the Indians moniker altogether and be called the Cleveland something else? Well, we're getting to the point, Mark, where it's going to be the Cleveland Nikes, the Cincinnati Pumas, yeah, the St. Louis Budweisers. We're getting to that point anyway. You see, in the NBA, they're going to start putting sponsorships on the jerseys. How far along is it going to be before the NFL and Major League Baseball decide to do the same thing? We're becoming a corporatized America anyway. Why not just put it into the sports field in the first place? You've got NASCAR that does it all over their cars. Which, by the way, how come it is when you cross the Ohio border into Kentucky, everybody seems to think they're a NASCAR driver? <laughs> it's hard to believe. I mean, I, I I get the idea I'm Jimmy Johnson or Dale Earnhardt Jr. when I cross the Ohio border and come into Kentucky. It's hard to believe. But nonetheless, you know, I mean, the Braves, What? when are they going to start going after the Braves? What are some other, you know, are, are we going to get upset over the Detroit Tigers because maybe it's upsetting a feeling of a tiger inside the Detroit Zoo? When is the Audubon Society going to go after the Blue Jays and the Orioles? When are they going to go after them? What about the Pirates? Is that going to upset any pot, any existing pirate in the world anymore? And how about, <clears throat> I can see tall people going after the Giants. Exactly. <laughs> you know, what about, are, are we suddenly going to affiliate the Los Angeles Dodgers with dodgeball? And we're not going to be able to have the Dodgers anymore because, oh, hey, they may be playing dodgeball. How, how far is this going to go? I just don't understand it. And, and, and Major League Baseball sticking their nose in it. You know, I mean, they've done a lot of good. I, I have to admit, I, I don't dislike the automatic intentional walk. I don't dislike it. I don't like it. But I don't dislike it. But that's because I come from an era where I saw guys actually stick the bat out and hit the baseball on an intentional walk. And it can happen. I've seen it happen. But with the intentional walk anymore, you, you just see them walk down to first, drop their bat and walk down to first. Eh, okay, I get it. I understand. You know, I've heard some people say, you know, hey, it's great. But just really, how much time does it save off the ball game, Mark? 30 seconds? Well, the, the idea, uh, we've talked about this for seven years, the, the idea of speeding up the game, 
Again, I don't know who is complaining about it. Uh, baseball listenership is up at an all-time high. Uh, the sponsors certainly don't care. But if you're going to attack the speed of the game and make it quicker, you have to cut commercials. That That is the only thing you can cut. And, you're not and, and, major, and, and the NFL has come out and said that they're willing to do that. And if that's the case, you're going to see the other sports teams, the other sports leagues do that also. I think one of the worst offenders of long games now is college basketball. Because oh. the last five minutes of a basketball game in college is just, it's a nightmare. The coach is calling all these timeouts and... Uh, they, they save everything to the end, and th- then you have the, the the automatic timeouts, the network timeouts, and it just breaks the flow of the game. And it, it, it's that's to me one of the most irritating things. And the same with college football. I mean, they, everything has slowed down. That last, you know, the, the, the last ten minutes of actual playing of a college basketball game can last an hour because of all the damn commercials they have in there. So. <clears throat> You know, we have to admit it, uh, professional sports, and I'll, I'll put in college basketball and college football as professional sports because the revenues they generate are, are are very significant. Even though the players don't get it, somebody's making a lot of money. The sponsors are or the TV stations, uh, the networks. So it's it, it's all professional, uh, and that's a different topic for a different day, but uh, – it's it's so frustrating to watch a professional football game. Have you ever gone to a recently gone to a professional football game in person? No, I, the last one I went to in the NFL was probably back in the late '90s. Up in it was actually Mark in the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium. So that tells you how long ago it was. I hadn't even thought about it. Boy, that had to be back the early '90s. Well, they I, tore the old place down in '95, '96. I went to a couple games a few years ago, and it was so boring. It uh, is. It was cold, and you sit. You don't. Re, you know, it's a three-hour broadcast. It goes from one to four, and that's when the second game starts. And you only have an hour of playing time, and the hour of playing time can include the clock running, running the clock down because you know they want they want to snap it at two seconds as opposed to forty-five seconds. So you have about fifteen minutes. 18 minutes, something like that, of actual action in a professional football game. I'm not saying the games aren't exciting, but you, when you're at the game and, you know, you're, you're kind of <laughs> just waiting for the, the, the timeout to end, three minutes every time they have a timeout, and th- then they call another timeout. So six minutes out of seven, you're just sitting there, and there's very little action. It's amazing. And yet people, the fans, accept it. So they talk about baseball. I would I would attack other sports before I attack baseball. Absolutely, but I think what's going to end up happening, Mark, is the Dolans are going to cave into the pressure that Major League Baseball is putting upon them to get rid of Chief Wahoo. Right now, as I said, you only see it sporadically on some of the hats that they wear, and it's on the left shoulder of all of their uniforms. But I think you're going to see Chief Wahoo probably if not by the end of this year, by the end of next year, completely abolished, and he will certainly become a memorabilia type of item down the road. But I think you're going to see Chief Wahoo 
probably go by the wayside. Mark, it was a very successful road trip for the Indians. They finished 5-1 and one on that road trip. They're now 10-8. and eight. They're in first place, which is where they belong in the American League Central. But more importantly, Jason Kipnis is back from having that rotator cuff problem in his right shoulder. He seems to be back and playing some good baseball, although they're not going to play more than a couple of days in a row to, for the, about the first month. And they ended up sending Yandy Diaz down. Now, Diaz shows a lot of promise at third base, but unlike what I thought about Giovanni Urshela a couple of years ago, I think Diaz needs to go back to AAA and just get himself settled down a little bit. I think sometimes, Mark, when these kids actually make a major league team and they come up and start playing ball, I think they let their emotions capture the moment a little bit too much. They don't keep themselves under control. And it really hurts them in the long run. And that segues right into Cody Reed on Saturday. Boy, I thought Cody Reed was throwing the baseball extremely well up until the start that he made on Saturday against the Cubs. And, Mark, just to me, during the warm-ups and watching him throughout the first at-bat of that ball game, he just seemed like he was nervous and upset and rushing himself to the plate. And I wondered if you saw the same thing. Yeah, I did. <clears throat> and he, he was he was overthrowing, and he was throwing too quickly. And I, I think we've said this before. For pitchers, uh, it's a lot of between-the-ears stuff. Uh, the difference between the stuff between one pitcher to the next in the major leagues is very minor unless you have a Bronson Arroyo. Most of these young guys come up, they're all throwing 90, 95 miles an hour. they got great sliders. they got good breaking balls and, and change-ups. And it's, the reason they're not successful is because they can't master the mental or emotional part of it. And those things are linked. So, so many pitchers have the, the physical talent to be successful, but they don't have you know, what we call between-the-ear stuff. And that... Unfortunately, I think Cody Reed may find himself in that position. Uh, but as I had mentioned before about Amir Garrett, uh, he, he got lit up tonight, gave up nine runs so far, and I think we're only in the fourth inning. And these are the kinds of things these young pitchers have to contend with. They're going to get their, their head handed to them by these major league hitters, and they all have good stuff. It's how do you, how do you cope? with situations like this where now Amir Garrett and both Cody Reed have been blasted in their last starts, and the guys who, who survive are the ones who can work through that and say, oh, yeah, now I know what I did. I was too quick, or I, my, my slider was three inches higher than it should have been, or my fastball was running out over the plate rather than you know into the hitter. These are the little things that make a major league pitcher successful. But it's it's scary to think that the Reds have put so much hope and faith in these young pitchers like Stevenson and Cody Reed and Amir Garrett for years and years, invested millions of dollars. And so far, uh, it has not panned out. Well, is Cody Reed, I asked this question last week, is he a starter or is he a reliever? He's a reliever. Now, they announced today during the game that he's going back into the bullpen 
I mean, he, he had retired, I think, 25 hitters in a row uh, in his relief appearances. He, mm-hmm. he was unhittable at a 0-0-0 ERA. And they bring him in, and once he give up four runs in the first inning, gets lit up. Yeah, the so, first hit he gave up was the Anthony Rizzo, that three-run homer in the first inning. Yeah. <clears throat> so that that's – they'll put him back in the bullpen. And I think as a – as a spot left-handed reliever, he can have a lot of value for the Reds, bring a lot of value. But <clears throat> the starting rotation, uh, it's it's scary because these guys like Stevenson, uh, who the Reds have touted. You and I have talked about Robert Stevenson for how long? Five years? And Something like that. Yeah, and the guy, to me, he's, he's, he's not overpowering by any means. Uh, he's got reasonably good stuff, but how can an organization overrate these guys as much as they do? And I think the Reds are more guilty than most. But it, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, you know, the, you look at the Cubs. They, I cannot think of a pitcher that they have grown on their own for a long time that has been a star. And what their, their philosophy was very, very specific. They wanted to grow the best eight players they could at every position. Guys who could hit 30 home runs, hit 300, and then they would go to the free agent market and get a pitcher they can come in and, and anchor their staff. You look at all the, the, the pitching staff for the Cubs, I don't know it, all of it, but most of those guys, they got in trades. Or free agency. They, they don't grow their own. And the reason you don't is because pitchers are hurt more than any other player. And I'd rather go out and sign a free agent who's proven himself over four or five years or more and bring him in and, and let him pitch 200 innings and win 14, 15 games for me. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the last pitcher that the Chicago Cubs actually brought up through their farm system and became a star was Greg Maddox. And then what they do to him, they traded him to Atlanta. No, he signs a free agent. Well, yeah, but they, I'm sorry, you're right. Uh, but they lost him to free agency. And, you know, I think the idea of trying to grow these pitchers, the, the, the injury rate on pitchers is astonishingly high. It's just, it's unbelievable how many of them get hurt. And I'm talking major shoulder and elbow injuries. They sign him for millions of dollars. You look back at the millions of dollars over the last 10 years that have been spent by teams signing first, second, and third round draft picks who are pitchers. How many make it to the big leagues and are successful? It's, it's remarkably low. And the Reds have gone down that path where they, they signed a lot of pitchers early on and I can't think of one that has come in and you know been a, been a stud. A guy's and yet, and yet, so have the Indians, Mark. I mean, the only they've got two starters. At, no, I take that back. They've got three starters right now in their rotation: Bauer, Carrasco, and Josh Tomlin. That they acquired via trade. They have not acquired any of them through free agency. They've brought up Salazar and Kluber through their farm system. And they've got two others down in the minor leagues. Now, Merritt they've brought through their farm system. But Clevenger is a guy that they 
got in a trade with the Los Angeles Angels. And don't you think the Angels would love to have a pitcher like Clevenger back on their staff right about now? I think they would. But when you look at the and the relievers, you're right. As far as the Indians are concerned, the only relief pitcher that they have right now that they have brought up through their own system is the closer, Allen. That's it. The rest of them they've they've gotten through either free agency pickups or trades. Yeah, it's a philosophy, and every team has a philosophy. But you know, if, if you look at, the, I think the more successful teams, they do it by having the best eight players out there they can get. And you get the best eight players, guys who can get on base, who can, who don't strike out a lot, or good on defense, uh, and then bring in your pitching staff to to, to you know round out your roster uh, through trades and free agency. I, I think it's a much safer route to go. And you're not you're not going through this like the the Homer Bailey trade I think is indicative of what many teams have endured with pitchers. They signed this guy as a number one draft pick. He was going to be the next thing, and he's he's got barely I think he's two games over 500 after what seven years in, in the big leagues, mm-hmm. and he's had two surgeries. You know his career could be over, and the Reds invested a hundred. Let me repeat that one hundred million dollars in this guy, and since. He signed the contract. I think he's won two games. So it, it's an incredible risk on the on the part of pitchers. And for a mid-market team like the Reds, investing $100 million in the Homer Bailey was idiotic. You know, you can justify it with, with, with a guy who plays every day like Joey Votto. I, you know, he can be the anchor of your offense. Okay, it's a lot of money, but I, I can see it. But not with a Homer Bailey. It's, it's, it was insane to do that. And he proved it's insane, but in fairness to the Reds, this has happened to a lot of teams over the last 10 years. Well, you know, as far as minor league pitchers were concerned this week, Mark, maybe the Reds should have been on the radar of Tyler Malley of the Reds down in Pensacola, their double-A pitcher. He threw a perfect game on Saturday. Maybe they should have brought him up and thrown against the Cubs rather than Cody Reed. Well, you know, that's a second no-hitter in the minors, and... Uh, they, I read an interesting article about him today. This guy is six foot three, two hundred and ten pounds, and he's an athlete. And they said he is—he's like Greg Maddox with good stuff. And their point being, he doesn't walk anybody. He, he strikes out a reasonable number of guys. He can throw 95, 96, but he doesn't normally do that. He throws 92, 93, but he paints the corners. He's got great control. Uh, he doesn't overthrow the ball. He's a pitcher. And that's what the Reds have lacked out of their, their system. And ho- hopefully this Tyler Maley is a guy who can, in the next year or so, can come up and, and actually be a long-term mainstay of this pitching staff. And you get away from all these power arms like Homer Bailey who come in and get hurt all the time. Uh, I'd much rather see a pitcher. And I don't think you can pay any pitcher – a higher compliment than to call him Greg Maddox with stuff. I mean, that's that's about as good as it gets. Absolutely. And he threw only 89 pitches in that game. But what was most impressive is that every pitch meant something. He had a lot of pressure on him. They only won the game one to nothing. Every out was important in that game. Yeah, and the, uh, the, uh, the Pensacola team only got two hits themselves. So... It was a very well played game, a very close game, and 
A lot of reasons you don't see a lot of perfect games in the minors is the defense. And there's, there's not a lot of great defense in the minor leagues. And so if, if somebody is going to get on base, it may be because of an error as much as a hit. But uh, you know, I was looking at the batting averages on those both those teams for the, for the season, and I think they have one guy hitting over 300 on both teams. So a lot of 220s, a lot of 210s. So maybe that is a league that is pitcher-dominant right now, which goes in cycles. But, uh, you know, the offense for a lot of teams has really been in the tank this year. And it's, it's because the pitching is so good. <clears throat> These kids are coming out throwing, you know, 100 miles an hour out of high school. Unfortunately, they don't last. You know, they, they, they throwing 100 miles an hour. They had a kid the other day. Uh, here in Ohio, I forget if he was, I think he was towards Cincinnati, but he, he's throwing 100 miles an hour as a senior, but they had a bunch of other guys who were throwing that fast in high school, and they showed their decrease in speed by the time they got out of college, they were throwing 92, 93. It's the wear and tear on the arm that, that you can't, you can't throw 100 miles an hour all the time. No. No, you've got to mix it up, you've got to spread things around, but you know, that's the good part of the minor league pitching, but the Indians had the bad part today of minor league pitching with Stephen Delabar. Now, Delabar is basically a career relief pitcher in the minor leagues. Let's just call it like it is. The Indians picked him up from Toronto. He's just a, another relief pitcher that they have down in Columbus. So I kind of understand the fact that he's trying to juice himself up a little bit to maybe get one last hurrah in Major League Baseball, although he took something called Osterine. Now, I'm not sure what Osterine does for you, but because he took that, Mark, he was suspended 80 games by Major League Baseball, so his season will not be able to be picked back up until probably about the, the middle to the end of August. Do you know anything about Osterine? No, but I know something about Steve Dalabar. He pitched for the Reds last year, and he came into a game last year. He, he, this guy throws hard, by the way, uh, but he, he was a perfect example of what we're talking about. He, he, I think he walked five guys in a row in one game last year, and it, it, it was unbelievable in the fact he wasn't close with any of them. I mean, he, he, I think he walked, uh, I think he walked three guys on ball four, you know, ball four, ball four. Without throwing a strike, and then he was three and one and walked a bunch of guys, uh, and that's that's clearly a case of a guy overthrowing, and you can understand his career is in the, I would say it's teeter teeter tottering on the end of his career, so mm-hmm. he goes to get some you know juice, and he gets caught, so it, it's unlikely that Steve Dalabar will will show up again this year in in the major leagues, but. What is the reasoning for Starling Marte of Pittsburgh to be doing what he did? He was suspended 80 games last week. He's ineligible for postseason play now, of course. And But the thing about it is, Mark, is he just came right out and said, hey, it was ignorance on my part. I didn't check. What in the world is going on with these guys? Is the drug testing too particular? Is it too sedentary is it something that we have to be more understanding about with these players or are the players just plain dumb 
Uh, I think it's dumb. Uh, <clears throat> this guy's contract, you know, he's going to lose two or three million dollars over this period of time. Uh, what do you expect to gain? That's what I don't understand. Do you expect to to gain an extra home run or two or three or five, and that's worth uh, taking these drugs that can get you suspended and cost you millions of dollars, cost you your reputation, cost you playoff money or a playoff position. But most importantly, this guy was a blooming star for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And what do you do to your team when you do that? It just, I think dumb is the operative word, Dave. I really do. There is just no rational explanation as to why you would do it. And the Pirates rebuilt their entire outfield around Marte during the offseason, so much so that they upset Andrew McCutcheon because they didn't tell him they were going to move him to right field. He read about it in the newspaper. He got upset at the Pirate front office. Marte was moved to center field, and then they, they like I said, they reformed their entire outfield. What does this do to not only the psyche of the team, but what does it do to the plans that the front office and the management put into place for this entire season? And now Marte, who was a big part of those plans, is now out for more than <clears throat> half the year. Well, you know, I hate to pick on baseball players because I love baseball players. But you're dealing with a population that, by and large, never went to college. Uh, many of these guys, like Marte, were signed when they were 16 and 17 years old. Uh, I don't think they were signed because they were potential Rhodes Scholars. So I think your original comment of dumb, I think, may play more in, in baseball than it may in other sports. These guys, in many cases, are uneducated. They don't know what they're doing. Maybe they're getting bad advice. But if you if you think you're not going to be caught when they are telling you to pee in a cup, uh, you know, once every three weeks in Major League Baseball, who are you? What what are you thinking? It it just makes there's no logical explanation for an action like that. So you're left with the only conclusion is there's an intellectual problem here, folks. <laughs> Tell me, tell me something else that I'm missing that that does not reflect on just common sense and, and just you know gray matter. You know, I want to get back to the Cubs here in just a second, but over to the Indians right now. Mark Francisco Lindor, if he is not the best shortstop offensively and defensively in the game today, and maybe the face, I'm going to say. The, the third or fourth most recognizable face in Major League Baseball today behind Mike Trout and probably, uh, um, now, now his, his name escapes me at Washington, uh, uh with the beard, Bryce. Yeah. Um, you know, Bryce if he, if he is not the third or fourth most recognizable face in baseball, I don't know who is. This kid has come out this year and really pushed himself. He's got five home runs, 12 RBIs so far on the season, Mark. He's playing stellar defense. He's got one error throughout the first month of the season. And, you know, this kid turned down a $100 million contract before an extension 
before the beginning of the season. He bet on himself, and that kid's going to win that bet. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's an exciting player, and I I can't think of a shortstop that has come into the league in the last decade that can do it on both sides of the lines as he can. Uh, he's a great hitter. He's, he's a great defender. He's a great base runner. He's got a terrific arm. And he seems, you know, the other thing that I don't know, but it, it appears to an outsider that he seems to be having fun and a pretty good teammate. Now, that may not be the case, but that's what it looks like. Uh, he always got a, you know, a smile on his face and, and, and seems to be having a good time. And not that that's going to put numbers on the board, but it certainly makes the team more inclined to invest in that kind of person long term than somebody who's a pain in the butt. And Jose Ramirez, who has done everything that this team has asked him to do, play the outfield, play second base, play shortstop, now he's the everyday third baseman since Kipnis is back at second base. He's tied with Lindor for the team lead in home runs with five. He leads the team in RBIs with 17. He's batting 309. Mark, this kid is 5'10", 165, maybe 175 pounds, soaking wet. And he's your number five hitter behind Edwin Encarnacion, leads the team in RBIs, he is not the kid that you would think would be the leader of this team. And he and Lindor may be the leaders of this ball club that could go to the World Series this year. Well, the, the Indians, uh, you're in a good position over there. The, the, the depth, I was looking at your roster yesterday. The depth of that roster and, and the players you have in AA and AAA, uh, that, that team, unless there's just some kind of catastrophic fall-off in, in talent uh, is going to be around for a while. And that's what organizations try to do, and the Indians have done it. So have the Cubs. I mean, you guys could be meeting in the playoffs for the next several years. I, I don't see – I saw Baltimore play against the Reds. They're, they're not that impressive. they got a lot of uh, big hitters. But I can't think of the, – the other team that may be coming up and be a challenge is the Yankees. I think Yankees are pretty good, and they got some good young talent there. But aside from from those teams, uh, I don't see a challenge to the Indians and Cubs in either in either league uh, over the next two or three years, unless somebody comes out of the woodwork that we don't see right now. Mark, I had a question mark about the Cubs coming into this season, and when I watched them play against the Reds this weekend, it solidified my question about this team. In your opinion, I'm going to give mine as soon as you give yours, but in your opinion, what is the weakness of this Cubs team? Well, I think their pitching right now is a little iffy. Um, and if they're going to repeat, I think they're in a position that with their, their farm system, they can go out and sign a free agent to take them to the promised land this year if they need to. That's that's the big advantage a team like the Cubs and the money they have can do. Right now, they're not getting the kind of pitching that they got last year. Now, on the offensive side, that is a scary lineup. And, you know, not everybody's off to the best start. I, I don't see that team falling down offensively. Uh, they play very good defense. Uh, the only possible problem on that team would be the pitching. And, uh, you know, I saw John Lackey pitch yesterday. 
he, he's just not an impressive guy to me. He, you know, he, he's a good journeyman pitcher, uh, maybe a little above that. But again, if the Cubs, if it's if they're in the in the hunt and they you know they will be by the All Star break, by All Star break, they're going to go out and sign a stud pitcher and and take him to the World Series, and that's that's the position I think the Indians are in. If they if they have a weakness, if the Indians do perceive a weakness by July, they have the ability to go out there and sign a free agent and overcome that weakness because they're so strong across the board. They're, both of these teams, I would say, in a worst-case scenario, they're one player away from getting to the World Series, and, and, and they'll make it. Like the Reds, <laughs> the Reds are four players away or five players away from making the World Series, so it's, it's a different ballgame. But unless you see it differently, I, I think the Cubs and the Indians are the teams to beat and they may be the teams to beat for the next two or three years. Well, I definitely agree with you that it's the pitching. It is definitely the pitching, and it's the starting pitching, in my opinion, Mark. If John Lester has a bad game, they could go on a four- or five-game losing streak. They really could. I'm, I'm convinced Jake Arrieta has lost what he had two years ago. You know, he was not as good a year ago as he was two years ago which you kind of expect. Pitchers, you know, normally they don't have those kind of dominant years back to back to back. And you're you're looking at Jake Arrieta, who was a journeyman pitcher. I mean, let's call him what he was. He was a journeyman pitcher before he got to the Cubs. And then he, he hit a hot streak. He had that one good year, won the Cy Young Award. He was a little worse a year ago, but still good enough for the team to win the World Series. He's not anywhere near the pitcher right now that he was even last year. And like you said, John Lackey, he's nothing. I mean, he's he's losing it. He may have been a good pitcher in the in the past, but right now he's nothing that's going to make teams stand up on their their ear and say, "Whoa, we got to face him today." And then after that, Mark, I dare the average fan to even want to even name another starter that the Cubs have after those three. Yeah, and you know the Reds beat up Arietta the other night. Um, they did. Yeah, they, they hit him pretty hard. And you look at their bullpen is pretty strong. Uh, that's where you know they're getting a lot of games saved for them. But uh, you know you have Hendricks, Lackey, Arietta, uh, and then John Lester. But they're, they're getting it done with their bullpen and their offense. Their offense is overcoming a lot of sins in that pitching rotation, that starting pitching rotation. But again, Dave, they're, they're going to go out there. They know what they have to do. If you and I can see that, they certainly see it. And they've got a huge checkbook. Ricketts is not afraid to spend money. And I'm just thinking though, who do you go after if you're, if you're a, if you're a team, whether it's the Indians or the Cubs, at, the, at this point in the year, we're getting into, into May here, uh, I can't see right now a dominant pitcher out there that would be a difference maker for the Indians or the Cubs, even if they went out there and tried to find one. It's, un, it's kind of an unusual year where I, I don't see any big, you know, you, you don't have a, a Greg Maddox or you, you don't have a, a big name out there that you could go out and say, yeah, now we're going to win the pennant because we got this guy. I'm going to throw one name out at you. Go ahead. Johnny Cueto, if the Giants are out. 
If the Giants are out, that's right. But I and Bumgarner would be another guy that you try to get. And by the way, do you see what Bumgarner did? Oh, what a, another a idiot! Moron. Yeah, yeah, let me go back to dumb. Uh, you guys got a hundred million dollar arm. And he's out riding a what a, a three wheeler and bruises himself up and can't pitch. What a moron! But you know I, that's the one guy that I could see. Mark, that you could go after. That that's the only one. Yeah, but he went. Yeah, and he wants to pitch in the American League. He said that last week. Well, yeah, but I mean, he would be a short-term solution. You know, and and speaking of which, he you know, with the money that the Cubs can throw around, and if Arietta's on the downslide, and so's Lackey, who knows how much money the Cubs could throw at Johnny Cueto, and all of a sudden Johnny Cueto's decided that National League Baseball is better than the American League. Yeah. Did you see? Sure. Did you see an old friend is back in the game of baseball though? Did you see who the Blue Jays brought up this weekend? No. Matt Latos. Oh, yeah, I did see that, as a matter of fact. Matt Latos is back in Major League Baseball with the Toronto Blue Jays. What does that tell you, Mark, about just how desperate the Blue Jays are right now for pitching? Well, that's what I mean. You you look around baseball, and there's just not a lot of of, great pitchers out there right now. And, And it begs the question... Do you want to invest that kind of money into a Johnny Cueto or, or Madison Bumgarner or whoever you, who's out there because of the potential injuries? And, you know, one starting pitcher is not enough to, to, to make the difference if you don't have all the other ingredients. The Cubs do have the ingredients, so do the Indians. So they have the ability to, to really stack the deck over the next two or three years because of the combination of their 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 25 man roster or even 40 man roster and the fact they get a big checkbook the reds simply are not in that class they they don't have the money and they don't have the organization right now that can produce a chris bryant type guy i, I just don't see that happening for the reds uh and you know better than i what the indians farm club is like but uh the reds have some talent but I, I don't think they can match up over the next two or three years with, with the Cubs or the Indians. Mark, is Joey Votto poised to have one of those career years? Well, I'll tell you, I, he, I have never seen a hitter who is so hard to get out. Uh, whether he, He's going to get on base one way or the other. He's going to walk. He'll hit the ball hard for a base hit. Uh, th- there was a streak last year that it was so unbelievable to me that I had to go back and look it up. He had not hit a fly ball out for something like 316 at-bats. Some crazy, I- impossible number. Everything he hits is a line drive. And yesterday he hit two or three line drives and, and made outs. But the, the guy, I, I still think that he'll be gone by the end of this year. I, I know nobody believes me. But I don't think the Reds can afford him. He's a luxury. They cannot afford that this will be the fourth losing year in a row with arguably one of the best hitters, if not the best hitter in baseball. And the question is why? Why do you keep him? And I, I love Joy Votto. I'd love to see him play, but he's not going to help this team win. So I'd rather. And here's, have- another, here's another question I've got for you. 
Why did the Reds waste the option on Jesse Winker? Why did they bring him up for two days and then send him right back down? I don't know. Uh, that whole situation, I, I, I did not hear they sent him down when they did. And I kept waiting for him to be back in the lineup because Chevrolet was hitting 158 or something. You know, why not give Winker a shot? But what, what's a little troubling to me about the Reds right now is Adam Duvall. This guy is striking out at an alarming rate and he's not making contact. He is, he's playing good defense, but that's not why he's there. He's there to get on base and, and to, and to drive in runs. Uh, he, he's hitting 239, but what's, in, what's very troubling is on 67 at bats, he struck out 21 times. He's just not making contact with the ball. And, and Shebler has struck out 15 times. And you, you and I will have this conversation the rest of the year. But, you know, Billy Hamilton, he's hitting 225. That seems to be his median number. And I'll ask you this question every week. Can a contending team afford to have a 225 center fielder with no home runs and three RBIs? Yes. Okay. Well, I disagree. I think that, I think the Detroit Tigers three years ago would have loved to have Billy Hamilton playing center field for them the year that they traded away Austin Jackson. I, I think there are a tremendous amount of teams, Mark, that would love to have Billy Hamilton patrolling center field for them, and they would put up with that. And I think the Indians are one. Yeah, why, Dave? It's because you guys have the supporting cast. But you said a contending team. I'm sorry. A contending team afford to use him. Yes. Yeah, the the right team, I agree. The Reds aren't the right team. The Reds are not the right team to have a Billy Hamilton because he, he doesn't bring enough offense to the table the team needs offense, and if you had other people around him supporting, you know, a 225 hitter, that's one thing. Now, the other thing I'd consider doing is batting him ninth. So you have two, basically two leadoff guys, you know, coming up. But but Billy Hamilton, I love to watch him play center field, but not when he's hitting 225. And Mark, I think I think the Reds' biggest problem, not their biggest problem, but one of their problems especially with Adam Duvall. You and I both know we've seen players throughout the years that just cannot bat clean up. There are certain spots in the batting order that they just cannot hit in. Remember two or three years ago we thought Joey Votto couldn't hit third? That he thought that he should probably bat second the way that he hits the baseball? And I know Carlos Santana, he a terrible cleanup hitter. Absolutely terrible. But you put him in the leadoff spot, and for some reason, it works. He is not your prototypical leadoff hitter, but for some reason, it works. For Adam Duvall, I'm starting to believe that maybe he's one of those guys that just cannot hit cleanup. He didn't hit cleanup much last year, if at all, and had a great season. This year, he's been almost exclusively the cleanup man. My whole situation is, the way Suarez has been hitting the baseball lately... And with the upside that Suarez has, Mark, and, and boy, I tell you, that kid 
there is no way I would get rid of that kid no matter what. I don't care when that third baseman, Nick Sensel, is ready for Major League Baseball and he comes up and plays third base. You have got a problem there because not only is Suarez one heck of a hitter, he is one outstanding third baseman. But I'd put him in the cleanup spot and I'd bat Duvall fifth and see what happens. Yeah, what's happening with Duvall is he's getting beat on the fastball. And if, if you're beat on the fastball in Major League Baseball, these pitchers will wear you out. And he's getting beat inside uh, with the fastball. He can't pull the trigger. And that that's what is, is, is a little scary. And you and you wonder, he's really muscled up this year. He's, he's, he's much bigger than he was last year. And I wonder if he's lost some bat speed because he hit the weight room too hard. You can do that. But he's uh, got a tremendous amount of power if he makes contact. But he's not making a lot of contact right now. Mark, Eric Thames, last subject before we wrap up tonight's show. He's got ten home runs this year. Like you said, he's hit two tonight. He's hit seven of his ten home runs against the Reds. Does that diminish what he has done in the opening three weeks of the season? Not from what I've seen, Dave. I mean, this guy's got power. He went to left field tonight, and he's got power to all fields. He's got a great approach at the plate. He's not, you know, he he level swing. Uh, he doesn't load. He, he just it, it's all from the from the forearm to the hand. He's so strong. Uh, boy, a lot of teams did not see what the Brewers saw in this guy, and he may be the steal of the decade if he keeps hitting like this. I mean, he's on a pace to hit 60, 65 home runs. I know he won't do that. Pitchers will catch up with him eventually. But right now, the Reds haven't figured out a way to get him out. That's for sure. Well, you know, the rumor is is that that's the reason North Korea is so upset, because Thames <laughs> left. <laughs> you know, he, he, was a, he was a real hero over there. And I heard him interviewed on the, uh, on the radio the other night. He, he's a very intelligent guy. And uh, I, I like his attitude, and he's, you know, he's getting his chance, and he's taking advantage of it. But he seems like a, a pretty cool customer, and he paid his dues over there for three years, and he was a real hero over there. And he, you know, he went over there, took his lumps, came back, and now he's he's going to be making a lot of money over here. Yeah, as long as he continues to hit the way that he's hitting right now, Mark, he he could make a lot of money. Here in Major League Baseball, that that's for certain. I mean, you you look at that kid; he's got a smooth swing. Yeah, you know what he doesn't. With, when I talk about loading up, he's not one of these guys who has to like muscle up to hit the ball 450 feet. He puts a a nice level swing on the ball, and it goes a long, long way. And he looks like he's in great shape. He's strong as a mule, and uh, so this. I'd love to hear stories like this. Where guys go over there and, and they they give up the ego and they, they go over and work at their craft and they come back and they're much, much better players. And it gives them a sophistication and a, uh, a maturity by going over there and doing that that a lot of kids coming out of college don't have. And a lot of these college kids are paid a lot of money. Uh, they don't know how to handle it. They think they're, you know, they've been stars their whole life. And they get up to double-A and triple-A, and they find out, hey, there's some pretty good guys up there. I'm not quite as good as I thought. But they've not learned to work at it. And so I always admire, and I'm glad to see a guy like Thames 
go what go through what he did and have the success he's having right now. What is Mark the status of Devin Mazzaracco right now? He's supposed to be brought up on Friday. Uh, ironically, or maybe not so ironically, uh, he hurt his knee on Saturday night. He he was covering the third base bag of all things, and somebody slid in and he, he hurt his knee. So they weren't sure how serious it was, but everybody was holding their breath. But apparently, it was just a, a minor contusion, and he's okay. So the the Reds apparently will be keeping three catchers, and he should be up uh, on on Friday night against the Cardinals. Uh, the, everybody is warning everybody, hey, he's not going to be the same guy he was two years ago. It'll take him time to catch up offensively, but they think he's going to be fine defensively. We'll see. Well, I mean, what does that mean? I mean, you know, defensively, if he slid and hurt his knee, here we go again. Yeah, I think what they're telling the fans is uh, be prepared for Mesoraco to hit about 220, 225, and maybe hit 10 home runs this year uh, and hopefully come back and be, you know, fully healthy next year. Uh, it's, you know, Dave, as you know, you, you play ball. You sit out two years in any sport, especially at the professional level, it's awfully hard to get that edge back uh, playing minor league ball, going through spring training. It's it's so different. The game speeds up so much at the major league level. So I, I what they're saying is don't expect Devin Mesoraco to to be the guy he was two years ago when he hit 25 home runs and drove in 80 runs. He probably won't be that guy. Well, Mark, what do the Reds have coming up the rest of the week? <clears throat> when they get Milwaukee. Uh, for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then four games in St. Louis. And uh, that's going to be, again, the Reds are now deeply into their division. Uh, right now, everybody is about equal. The Reds going into tonight, we're only a half a game out of first place. But uh, now the rubber is going to meet the road. The, the weakness of the Reds pitching staff, I'm afraid, is going to come back and bite them. Uh, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me that they're going to have another week this week like they had last. How about the Indians? The Indians have got Houston after an off night tonight. They've got Houston coming to town, which should be a very, very interesting series. The Astros are 13-6 and six on the season, and the Indians go up against Dallas Keuchel in the first game, and he's 3-0 and with an under-1 ERA in his first three starts of the year. So they've got them on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, again with that 6-10 starting time that they're trying during the week. And then they've got Seattle coming to town on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So that's what the way it looks for the Reds and Indians. Mark, we'll talk to you again next week and see what the teams have done the next week. Have a good one, Dave. You too, Mark. That's going to do it for t- joining us here this evening. Glad to have you along on Ultimate Sports Talk. We'll be back again next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks for joining us here tonight. We'll talk to you again next week on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show.